due to the Australian Indigenous community heavily referenced in this episode, we'd like to repeat our acknowledgement of country that you can find in our Season 1 preview. An eventful life respectfully acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we produced this episode on, the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung and Boonwurrung Boon Wurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to An Eventful Life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An Eventful Life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event leaders from around the world. That's right, Brad. We'll be sharing their stories, impact and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your mates. This is An Eventful Life. Hello, Shane. How are you, mate? I'm Welcome. Good. I'm good, Brad. How are you doing? Yeah, all right, mate. Very good. Hey, let's get straight into today's uh, episode. I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, our next guest is an amazing young lady who has flown under the radar a little bit, uh, but in the last three years has really started to make her mark. She's a proud Warramungu Yaru woman who grew up in Darwin on Larrakia country. She's a fitness and social influencer who in 2019 had a major career change that saw her overcome many a personal battle, which we'll get a bit into later on, which I'm excited about. And currently she brings her boundless enthusiasm as the host of the Yokai footy, as well as MC and hosting roles, uh, including the long walk, which I know she worked on with you, uh, and the AFL best and women's best and fairest. Uh, she's an inspiration to women everywhere, particularly Indigenous women. Uh, would you please welcome Megan Megzi Waters? Welcome, <laughs> Megzi. Thank you so much, Brad. It's um, really great to catch up with you two legends today. That was a fair intro. How that do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, because, yeah, it's, as you said, it's it's been a pivot for me into an industry that really I wasn't, I wasn't in before. I had no experience in at all. So I, I'm still kind of getting used to I'm like catching up with myself a little bit at the moment too because things are just moving so fast particularly you know coming out of COVID that dreaded c word that we don't like rehashing too much but mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty wild I've um, definitely pivoted and it's been all uphill really since then so yeah right exciting and the and first what, sorry the first few months of the year what like what have you been up to what how have you started 2023 um well I've recently opened a gym, which you know Ah, all too well about. (laughs) Tell us. Give it a little plug. (laughs) Airlocker Training Brunswick. um, We opened in November. So we're, you know, very much in the early stages of business there. Um, And it's been amazing. That's kind of been majority of where my time's been spent uh, at this early stage of the year, just kind of building our community and getting our processes right and, um, you know, onboarding a really great team. So we're at a really, we're at a really good point now that footy sort of, you know, obviously started back and um, that sort of space for me is starting to take off again, um, given that all of the things that comes with, with footy season. Yeah. So yeah, I've been really busy with the gym, but I'm really excited to be getting back into uh, MC land, footy land, all those fun things. Yeah, awesome. It's certainly been a whirlwind start to the year by the sounds of it. But let's go back to the the beginning. I think it's important where you sort of set the precedent of – because your story is quite unique in terms of how you've ended up in, in footy <laughs> land and fitness land and event land. But you grew up in Darwin in the Northern Territory of Australia. Uh, what was it like growing up there and, and how did your work life begin? 
Yeah, so, I mean, Darwin is just, it's just home. It will always be home despite living in Melbourne now for, I think it's the last 12 years I've lived here. Um, I always find myself craving that homely feeling that you just don't, that I don't get anywhere else except Darwin. My family are all still based up there and I had a very adventurous upbringing. I was always out and about playing sport from a young age, um, which I think is why I kind of fell into the fitness industry. I kind of progressed naturally into, um, into working in the fitness industry because I grew up so athletic and sporty and I was always really um, driven by movement and, and exercise. Um, so yeah, I, I had a great, a great upbringing in Darwin. I head home regularly, um, probably not as regularly as I'd like with life just kind of being full steam ahead of late. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. The reason I moved to Melbourne, um, was because I kind of got to that age where I'd finished school. I'd gone traveling for a couple of years and I just, I didn't really have career aspirations as such in terms of, I just didn't know what I wanted to study yeah, right. at uni. Was it more of an opportunity then as far as coming to Melbourne? It was, it was just, I'd lived in London and kind of traveled around for a couple of years. So then I moved back to Darwin and I was like, okay, yep. I'd seen big city lights. I'd seen opportunity outside of my small, humble home, hometown and, um, yeah, Melbourne just called at me for, for that reason. And so I made the move here. It was made easy because I already had a couple of friends that had transitioned from Darwin to Melbourne as well. So I kind of followed them along. And, yep. yeah, I haven't really looked back since. Yeah, great. And it's not easy moving from, I can imagine, from a regional city into that sort of big smoke and particularly Melbourne just to chase a dream necessarily and not knowing that many people. Uh, I know you had some influences in your life, um, you know, that supported you through that decision and the importance of family and so forth, um, particularly your father, I believe. Uh, can you tell us a bit about sort of his influence and your decision to move, I guess, you know, and really commit to sort of living here, I guess, rather than sort of transitioning backwards and forwards? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, my influences or my my major influences are the people that are closest to me in life and that's, of course, my family, um, my dad was a major, um, he was my best mate. He was a major um, pillar of inspiration and my go-to guy for everything. Unfortunately, we lost my dad. Um, it's actually coming up to nine years this year, yeah, which is wow. kind of crazy. Um, but through that process of, I think, you know, going, oh, he he was really sick with cancer and um, watching his health and his well-being deteriorate was basically the catalyst for my desire to really make the most out of my opportunities and make the most out of life. You know, really, I think when you experience grief like that and you witness how quickly life can actually be stripped away. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that embedded a really important um, mindset piece just around the fact that, you know, as cliche as it does sound, life really is very short um, and we've got one chance to have a really good crack. Yeah, so totally. that was, um, that was kind of the, the real driving force behind why I wanted to, yeah, spread my wings and, and leave home. And, you know, I'd had that experience kind of traveling and, and that instilled some really great, um, you know, life experience being overseas in my yeah. early twenties. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to keep, I just wanted to keep that ball rolling and, and, my dad was always a big supporter of my adventures and my desires to do yeah. 
you know, fun things and travel and, and explore. So it just kind of felt like the right thing to kind of pursue. Um, yeah. Was it daunting when you sort of made that first initial move? And I, you can have all the support in the world. We know that in our work lives and stuff, you know, everyone's always encouraging us. But for you personally, was that a m- massive daunting step to end up here? Like, did you arrive with a suitcase and well, probably, nothing else? Or it probably built some resilience, am I right, Megzi, in, in what you experienced during that time with, with your dad? Yeah. 100%. Um, and I think it, w- it was challenging because I moved here. Like I said, I've lived here, I think it's 12 years now. And yeah. so I was living here when he was six. So it was obviously very difficult to make that decision mm. to be away from home during a really challenging period. So... I'd moved and then, you know, it was, of course, I love my family. It's such a strong connection with my family. So, you know, of course you have that element of, you know, missing home and and being homesick. But I also had this deep desire to just like be in a bigger city. I'd seen what, you know, Europe was like. And I was like, I just want, I think I've just got more, um, more in me than what Darwin had to offer at that point. Um, and, and particularly because I still didn't really know what I wanted to study. So I just kind of felt like there's just a little bit more for me to choose from if I, if I'm in a bigger city, um, in terms of career wise. And I, I definitely, when I moved here, I didn't, I wasn't doing anything necessarily, you know, riveting in terms of work and career where I sort of started. I, I literally got on a recruitment site I think I was 23 or something when I moved here. So yeah, got on a recruitment site and I just, you know, landed in a job working for Seabus, which was <laughs> absolutely not, um, you know, didn't, didn't really get the juices flowing at all, but it, you know, it paid the bills, um, I guess. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a kind of interesting, interesting time. And then dad got sick. So I would go back and forth to Darwin a lot. And yeah, resilience is the right word to use because, it was really hard to be away from home during that period particularly. Um, but I'm glad that I chose to stay and my dad would have wanted me to stay and home is always there and I yeah. always go back and make time for it. You know, we've touched on sport a lot. It's so important to you and something you're passionate about and, and what you did when you, know, when you were here and it kept you going. Um, how, how important is a healthy lifestyle to what you do now and the keeping that balance um, in the world of media and events? You're working all sorts of hours and, um, you know, it's a demanding job or a demanding, um, you know, world that you're now working in. How does that balance play out with, uh, you know, I guess your sporting background? Yeah, I think, um, you know, making sure I really have to prioritise carving out time to look after my mind and fact, you know, making sure that movement is always a priority in my, in my days or weeks, because I think going through everything that I went through with my dad and going back to that resilience and, you know, suffering through grief. And that was a really challenging time for me. And that was, that was a real, again, kind of catalyst as to why I landed in the fitness industry as well, because I'll never forget it and I've said it, um, you know, a couple of times in in different conversations but I'll never forget my dad being sick on his deathbed basically sharing and he said these words to me that just like etched in my mind but he basically said, um, you're nothing without, like without your health, you're literally nothing Um, and that just stuck with me ever since and that was the reason, a, a big reason why I decided to pursue my cert three and four in fitness 
Um, and going through that challenging time of, you know, losing him, moving my body was really the, going yeah. for long walks or like, you know, going to the gym and these sorts of things were the only thing that helped me just take my mind off it for a bit or just at least help me manage that that stress and that pain yeah. and, and all those sort of harsh emotions. It's such an important part too. Oh, I think, and so I think it's, you know, yeah. we underlook it a little bit, particularly in this industry, which has got such a massive background in sort of burning the candle at both ends, mm. working stupid hours, nonstop, go, 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 go. And we've got it. We don't say no. And as a result, there's so many that have, you know, don't look after themselves. And I mean, we're, Shane and I are big believers, obviously, in, you know, that healthy lifestyle and that balanced lifestyle as well. And it's becoming more and more important. But to hear it from you sort of stepping in, I guess, from a different industry into an industry that we've sort of grown up in um, and what you see, and unfortunately through COVID was a bad period too. It, it's so hard to get across. I don't know what you feel, mate, to, to people that have been there for so long to say, guys, you've got to look after your bodies because you're hearing so many of these stories. It's like, we can't keep going at this pace for this long and you will burn out. And I mean, I've got my own personal story as we know about that. And, but it's, it's such an important factor and such an important communication piece, I think, to this industry. Um, then, and people like yourself coming in, I think, are such great ambassadors for that um, I, to help us. Absolutely. And a lot of people listening to this will be from the events world. And that story you told about your dad and mm. what he said to you, I hope that really resonates, resonates. with everyone listening. I know it's already given me little shivers. So, yeah, yeah. it's powerful. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I just, you know, I, I think even when it comes to looking after yourself and, you know, the last thing sometimes, you know, especially because I worked in the hospitality space as well for a long period of time yeah. before I, it? yeah, awesome. you know, I, I, I loved it. I was so good at pouring drinks behind yeah. the bar. <laughs> I, you know, it was such a, I'm such an extrovert. So I love being in any social kind of setting and, but I would remember, you know, I'd work, I used to work in a backpackers bar in Darwin and like the the hours, like you're not getting home sometimes till like four o'clock in the morning once yeah. you've cleaned up the bar and done this. The last thing I want to do the next day is go to the gym and train. Like it's, it's such a catch 22 because yes. you know, you need to look after yourself. But when you're so tired, if you're doing these late nights and especially in the event space, it's, I think the key is finding your thing like yeah. finding what works and for some people it might be going for a run for others it's you know just going for a walk and sometimes it it doesn't even necessarily have to be the the movement component it can be the mindfulness component yes. just making sure that you're carving out time to nurture what nurture your mind because we have to exercise our mind as much as we do our body um because once you start to do the mind work then the body work just follows anyway um, so was it, do you think it's your background in sport, uh, that's kind of led you now to be involved in the AFL? I mean, I would have thought so, but how did that come about? And was that before or after you got into events? It was so random, actually. <laughs> it's a funny story. So I, um, yeah, I definitely think it is my, my background in, in sport and fitness that kind of helps sell my story to the AFL because the reality of me landing as a TV presenter on a footy show is actually quite random. <laughs> um, I haven't come from a media background. I didn't have any pre-existing training or anything like that. It was actually, um, you know, one of my blessings from COVID, I think, because I've always predominantly worked in the fitness industry, obviously that shut down for me. Yep. And um, it kind of like it did for a lot of people, 
um, meant that I had to pivot a little bit or just it just gave me space to kind of analyze where do I actually want to be going? What, like what, what makes me tick? Um, what am I really passionate about? So it created space for me to kind of, you know, to to go internal and figure out a few things that I probably wouldn't have done had I been, you know, just on the rat wheel of work and life. And, um, it was funny actually, because I had, because I come from Darwin, I'd spent, Um, a big chunk of 2020 back home I was able to go home and quarantine and at that point I was sort of in this headspace of like I actually think I might want to relocate back home I've lived here for you know 10 years or whatever it was at that point I was like am am I ready to you know make make the ditch and settle back in Darwin and I think I was kind of um also uh probably swept up in the fact that Darwin was like an untouched COVID, like COVID basically didn't happen there for a yeah. period of time. You live a so, normal life, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, like I would be out, you How know, nice, right? cruising nice the harbour on, you know, boat parties and the dry season and then I'd go on Instagram and see how all my friends were still like suffering in lockdown. It was such a weird time. But anyway, it, it enabled me to spend time back home and I was kind of thinking, all right, maybe this is an opportunity. I'd actually started planning about potentially opening a gym back up in Darwin. That was yeah, kind of what was well. on my trajectory at that point. And um, it was funny. I had this. Um, I fully told everyone in my life I'm moving back to Darwin. I told all my friends in Melbourne I'm moving back. Um, so I had planned to come back to Melbourne for like a month, have one last hurrah, kiss everyone goodbye, and move back home. I told my mom. I told everyone. Yep, I'm coming back to Darwin. And then of course I got back to Melbourne, and um, it was you know. Lockdowns were sort of starting to ease, and it was November or December or something around then, and the weather was starting to get good. And I was like, "Oh, actually, <laughs> I really I, like it here. Yeah, I really <laughs> like it here. Now I remember why I've Melbourne's stayed here so, so long." And at that point, my housemate had kind of given me an ultimatum. She was like, "You've got literally till Christmas. You've got like a month to figure out: Are you coming or are you going?" Basically, and I think because I'd turned my receptors on at that point I was like okay universe like what's for me what's happening and within that week you know things had sort of started to pop up a few emails and opportunities were sort of presenting and one of my old clients who I used to train at a boot camp in Elwood um, landed in my Facebook messages and she was like hey Megs I've been thinking about you and I just thought uh, this is probably a bit left of field but I thought I'd reach out just to see if this is of interest, but basically we're casting for this footy show. Um, we're looking for a female Indigenous lead. Um, you don't have any media experience, but you've got the right personality. You can talk shit all day long, so <laughs> you'd be great we're on a footy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd be good. You'd be, you know, you'd at least nail that component of it. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I've got nothing to lose. Like, what? Yeah. What have I got to lose here? I'm going to get. You know, I think going to interviews is a really beneficial for just experience. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and do the interview process. That'll be really good for me to just gain. Ex- I haven't done an interview Exposure for so long. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I'll get to go into AFL house and, you know, might rub some shoulders with some cool people in there. Um, and yeah, that was kind of as far as my mind took me in terms of that opportunity. I didn't think it would eventuate at all. Did you debate it for a little while before going through that process? Like, did you sort of have those mindfulness thoughts to yourself and sit on a beach and look at, or was it just like, nah, stuff I'm going for I was just like, you know what? I'm going for it. Like I, I had not one, like, and I think, yeah, but I also, I don't, because I didn't have any expectation that it was going to go anywhere either. I just 
fully went into it with an open mind and no pressure. Like I, w- I prepared for it, of course, but I wasn't like stressed or I yeah. wasn't like I, I didn't have everything riding on this opportunity. So it was just like I just went in and, you know, it was just real chill Beat about yourself. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. it was super chill. And then, um, yeah, then that went really well and then they called me back. This was at the point. So I came on board. They'd already done a season of Yokai, which was why that they were yep. – um, looking to, you know, re-engage another host um, just because the first season happened in 2020. Yeah. So I think the first season they filmed like 12 or 13 episodes with no footy. So it was it was a bit of a, a hard one to start for the original hosts of the show at that point because it was, you know, it was a really challenging year for everyone. Um, so the first, se- the first season that I did was with Tony Armstrong and we know the yep. success that he's having um, – you know, since he's really yeah, stepped into awesome. into the media media landscape. But, yeah, we did a chemistry catch-up and got along like a house on fire and then they started – I'd get like messages from my um, references and they were like, oh, we've received <laughs> received a call from the AFL today. Was, was there like, a point you went, oh, my God, this is happening? Yeah, at that yeah. point. I was um, like, shit. Saying, what the fuck is this? Yeah, they <laughs> were like, what? what are you doing? Yeah, I was like, I kind of worded them up but I just didn't think it was – you know, yeah. and I was like, this it's, is nah, not going. Anywhere. Anywhere. But it was that point that I was like, cool. oh, okay, cool. This might actually happen. And then, yeah, That's before great. before you know it, I we were, yeah, on set, ready to yeah, record a footy makeup, show. Yeah. Hair and makeup, <laughs> in the chair. Um, were you yeah. daunted or were you still kind of going, I'm just going to go nah, for broke? I was shitting myself yeah. <laughs> by that point. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. have I got myself into? Yeah, at that point, once I'd realised that... Um, yeah, once I realised what comes with uh, being in a space that you've never been before and the pressure, like I probably put way too much pressure on myself but naturally that just, you know, we, you know, if you're a bit of a, mm. you know, a perfectionist, go get a type person, the, the pressure was on. And so the events world came, yeah. you know, and called you and brought you in and here you are and you are everywhere. So how did that transition come about? Was it uh, pretty quick after, you know, your Kai started or? It was pretty, no, it was, the thing is, I'm actually, again, s- some of the things that I'm grateful for about COVID is, is the space that it created. So season one for me was 2021, which was amazing because I knew that I had 28 weeks worth of work. That's when we met. Yeah. Yeah, initially. But then obviously the long walk didn't go ahead. So it was kind of great because it gave me the the space to really focus on Yokai, like just purely focus on, you know, on the show and, and, and get my bearings of being on set and in a studio and how that all works. And then, you know, kind of it was it was deflating at times because well the reason that we met um Shane was you know obviously because of the long walk and it was it was difficult because I was having these amazing opportunities presented to me um one of the first big ones was to MC the long walk um in 2021 but of course I think it was like two weeks before that was meant to go ahead yeah exactly <laughs> lockdown and so it was like it was difficult because it was like I'd get my hopes up to do this fun stuff but then you know COVID kept ripping that away but in hindsight I kind of look at that and think actually I'm so grateful that that happened for me in that way because it when I came into the second season 2022 for me um with the show I felt really comfortable being in my chair by that point and I I understood how um 
you know, recording a TV show worked and I had a much better grasp yeah. on who all the players were in all the teams. You sort of learnt one industry, I guess, and one job, which I assume then allowed the opportunities to sort of flow in in other areas, so all the event stuff and, and so on. Exactly, yeah, hit the nail on the head. That's exactly right. So come, you know, the long walk 2022 yeah. when it was back at um, Fed Square and Dreamtime was back at the G. and Which you, you also hosted that night. Yeah, yes. yes. Yeah, that was a friggin' massive day. Yeah. <laughs> I was right. They always and, are. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely taking some deep breaths that day. But, yeah, um, you know, it's been pretty it's been pretty awesome. I've kind of randomly you know I I th- I think again going back to being quite an extrovert and and enjoying people and you know feeling confident in talking it just you know naturally people were like oh would you be interested in emceeing my event and I was I'm again I think because, well, for one, COVID strips so much away for so many people, but also too, I'm just like I'm just a you know what, let's just give everything a try because if we, you know, how am I going to know if I don't like it or if I'm good at it if, if I don't? And that was kind of my mentality around, um, you know, being asked to MC things. I was like, you know what, I've never, never just MC'd. Just give it a go. Yeah, yeah. I think the first event I actually ever MC'd was the... Um, the, the Essendon, Essendon Fields. Fields. And, uh, which I was going to ask you about because you talked, to, you talked to us about how you prepare for TV. So now that you're in the event space as well, what, what's what's the planning process? And the reason I ask is because the long, you know, you and I have walked on the long walk. You're familiar with the AFL landscape, which you know, that event encompasses quite a bit. Essendon Fields is a community event um, in Airport West. How did you prepare for an event like that and any event that you are now hosting or emceeing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you just have to be really, you really have to prioritize carving out time. And especially I, what I am finding difficult now that I've got a gym as well and all these other things going on is that that time is becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. So it's like I'm becoming more and more conscious of wasting time now. I'm like, you know what, I don't, I'm going to delete Instagram and TikTok off my phone for half right. a day because otherwise I'm going to sit here in a freaking wormhole of, <laughs> and then I've ended up you know, following all these people and I've, I don't know, anyway, TikTok is a wild place and you can spend way too much time there if, if you get yeah. caught up. And so it's just making small conscious decisions with things like that, I think are really key for me because just, yeah, eradicating distraction. Um, but that was, a, that was definitely a challenging one to prepare for because I, well, for one, I had never emceed an event. This was, um, the Essendon Field centenary yeah. day. Yeah, and you know, you, it was kind of pitched to you as a community event with a, what happened was a lazy 25,000 people showed up that day. It was wild. And there was, was like huge. live music yeah. and like entertainment and all these things. And I was like, shit. <laughs> Where do know? I fit in here? Yeah. <laughs> what, what am I, I do? doing? Yeah, literally. But I mean, very fortunate to have had a very great event coordinator <laughs> um, in, you know, in Blue um, facilitating that. And I think that's, you know, I... I'm, and I'm also, I guess, um, quite lucky that I have a great management team that have um, made dealing with different clients really easy because they t- kind of take that middle middle ground yep. out. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just research and time. I think it's just getting really sharp with managing time with things like prep for events. Yep. And so do you find yourself with the events and the TV work sort of doing the same style of prep? And the reason I ask that is, a bit of a common observation, you know, is that TV talent can sometimes struggle to adapt to the recorded nature of screen 
presenting versus live event presenting uh, and it's sort of different, similar skill sets but somewhat different in the same ways. What are your thoughts on someone that's sort of worked in both sectors and on the rise in both and, and all this prep work do you do? Do you find them similar or are they very different? Um, I would say my method is probably quite similar in that with the show, for example, we get sent like, oh, when, when we're done here, I'll go and, you know, read over my notes um, because we get sent our run sheet the day before with kind of an outline of what our script is. So I will usually with both, like with the script that I get sent for the show and the scripts and um, MC notes that I get sent for um, an MC gig, I really the main thing is I have to be by myself. I can't be, you know, watching maths in the background <laughs> while I'm I'm trying Should to be do watching that. that shit yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just cannot do it. I have to be in a in my little zone where I can read out loud. I find for me reading my scripts out loud over and over and over and at my MC notes to articulate how it would sound, you know, for one on telly or at an event. Yeah. So in terms of that, that prep is probably quite similar. Um, I haven't done a great deal of MC events that have really put the ball in my court as an MC, which I think is really helpful. I think um, from a talent perspective, it's really handy to be, to, you know, um, to be able to really onboard um, me as an MC with all the information that you yep. need, which you guys do so yep. great at Blue. I think, um, you know, providing a run sheet with um, MC notes is so handy for an MC because then I can go and create it and make it the way that I would read it and articulate it. But at least that way you're conveying all the information that you you want to get across. So um, it's really helpful from a from a talent perspective when that is kind of provided for you. She took the words straight out of my mouth because that was literally going to be my next question for all those budding event professionals yeah. or event professionals out there. How, like what's the best way to deal with talent and some of the things that help you. And obviously for someone who does prep a lot and, you know, everyone's different. So some talent like to just walk in and get handed stuff and just go and read it, which doesn't come across as naturally, which I think, you know, the way that you present is very natural and it probably comes down to the prep work. But for the event professional to come out and kind of go, okay, I need to provide this information early you need time to be able to prepare. You don't want to just be handed it as you walk through the door. You don't want the changes on the fly. So it's such an important part and sometimes we overlook it mm. because people just go, oh, no, it'll be all right, it'll be all right, I'll just throw it to you. But She's on TV. She'll yeah, know it. Yeah. she'll be all right. It's fine. <laughs> is there anything else from an event professional point of view or an, you know, an event manager or an event coordinator or someone who's preparing you to walk into an event that makes you feel comfortable walking through that front door going, yeah, I know that this is under control and it's going to be okay because it's your name and face it's up there you know running this thing and facilitating it and holding all those pieces together i mean that's the role of that mc and host to really facilitate and and drive the content moving i think um definitely uh having pre-meetings like what i found yep. really beneficial and i'll use a long walk as an example just because there's so many moving parts in a day like that was um you know before we did that we we had like a full team meeting i went out and I met you, we all sat down, we went through the run sheet together. And I think um, there's just no, there's there's just so much value in, you know, in doing that as a collective, I think, yeah. dep and, and depends on people's learning styles. But I learn best when I'm 
in the moment where I can ask the question because realistically we've got so many things going on. I have a thought and then I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm on to the next yeah. thing and I forget that I have to ask that question and then by the yep. time you've done it, it's, it's gone, you know. 100%. Need a brief while you tell them, 100%. There's yeah. no question about it. And I think people get daunted by it. Like, oh, I can't yeah. talk to the talent before the event. It's like, no way. Oh, get on the phone yeah. and... You know, you need to get to the talent as well. I don't know about you, Shane, but it's like n- not to the manager, not a written brief that then gets, you know, Chinese whispers sort of, you know, changed on the way through. It's like, no, I want to talk to the person who's yeah, going to represent I, this I event. I annoy the booking managers yeah. and the management for, for that reason. I just want to talk to them and make sure they are privy to what's happening. And sim- you saw, Meggie, yeah. that that just, just works push. better. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And I think that that's really, that's really key too. Such a great thing to note is that sometimes, and it's, you know, not it's you know managers have often got so many people that they're managing that of course naturally you know um human error occurs and some things slip through the cracks like um yeah some some comms you know may not get there in time or you may get it you know that little bit too late because i was the 10th email in their inbox versus the first stuff like that so i think there's also a great value in having um of course, everything goes through a book, you know, my an agent yeah. when it comes yeah. to contracts and formalizing everything and the logistics. But then it is, I really like that personal connection as well when it comes to dealing with the organizers as well. I think um, it just, it's just well, it's makes more it easier. Isn't yeah. It? You, yeah. You show up on the day you've had that rapport. Already. Everyone knows yeah. everybody. Yeah, it's you, like you can faces, understand names. a little bit about yeah. how to approach someone or how to talk to them or just what makes them tick. Um, yeah. In a short time that you have with each yeah. other. So, yeah. yeah. So, I guess moving on, one of the questions we wanted to ask, you know, you're a, you're a very proud First Nations woman. Um, do you feel we're moving in the right directions in the events community in, in particular with recognising that Indigenous history and the culture and, you know, the welcome to countries, the references to, say, Nam here in mm. Melbourne, uh, et cetera? And, and do you think, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done or how do you feel as someone who represents that space so well? Yeah, I mean, it's, of course, um, really, um, it really means a lot to hear acknowledgements and um, to, you know, just have our culture because really we, you know, we were, we were the first peoples of this country. So it's like, it feels like about time we get some recognition and some acknowledgement and it, it's a shame that it's taken us this long to uh, for it to become normal and and still a lot of people are adjusting to it and I and you know you often I've I've heard a couple of people or I've read you know silly comments um you know in the Instagram webs and on Twitter and things like that about you know oh, acknowledgement well, you know it, it's performative and acknowledgements before events and I saw someone say something about um you know even on the Qantas flight when they land into wherever you mm-hmm. know they acknowledge yeah. country and People, it's such a mind-blowing thing for me to think that people just don't realise why that is so important mm. for us um, as First Nations people. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, definitely come a long way um, in terms of, yeah, you know, um, terms of the acknowledgements and things like that. But I think it there is so much more that can be done because it, it actually can be quite performative, you know, just because you you say, oh, you know, I acknowledge, you know, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation before your meeting or before your event. What else are you doing? Yeah. You know, and I think that that is where more can be done. Are you elevating and amplifying First Nations voices? Are you creating 
job opportunities and space for First Nations people. And um, I think, yeah, there is a fine line there between those two things because, um, you know, you can't just, you know, you do an acknowledgement yeah. to tick a box. And, and do you think that, I mean, I see it sometimes and it drives me mad that I feel like some people are literally just ticking a box. They're like, oh, yeah, we just got to do it, so we just do it and get it over and done with because it's a visual, it's an optics thing. Versus, you know, actually thinking about the meaning of why say, you're doing that. They don't realize how many, you know, even if you touch on a few people in that room, that's fine. It's okay. And then it'll grow, yeah. it'll grow, it'll grow. So yeah. it is so important. And it is familiarity and, and yeah. those kind of things. And I think to your point, even the stuff that happens behind the scenes, like it doesn't always have to be proclaiming it out and, and just, you know, shouting it again, optics side of things, but actually doing that the real heart and soul work behind it and, and how you can improve those areas, be it jobs, be it opportunities, mm. be it, you know, again, just giving people a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where we still have work to, to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if anything, it's great that there is a lot more conversation and awareness that is off the back of, you know, um, we just real, um, you know, obviously, like you said, NAM, like what NAM football club did in indigenous rounds, I think is, is, an amazing, um, an amazing action because it's underrated. F- I think what they did. Oh my gosh! gosh. Yeah, the flow-on effect from yeah. that in terms of what that creates for a young boy who's a mad, you know, demons fan, and and that conversation. Oh, why why are they numb now, mum? And then that creates a conversation in a family, and I think that that is that is huge. Um, and Fremantle Footy Club have announced this year that they're going to do the same thing. They're going to be Fantastic. called Wally Up Footy Club. And it's it's certainly um, when it's creating conversations, I'm here for it. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, but there is definitely, yeah, there's there's always room for room. more and improvement. Yeah. And as the, as the talent piece, I guess, around that, the person that's presenting a lot of those thoughts and a lot of the stuff that's, say, written by producers and event managers and so forth, would you, I assume, would welcome the opportunity, again, going back to that sort of pre-work, to actually sit down with, you know, event managers and go, okay, well, how are we going to do this well and how can we integrate and, and give your experience um, as part of that conversation as well to improve the events? Or even as simple as helping with the pronunciation. And let's be honest, we asked, oh, we asked yeah. beforehand, mm. but that's fine. You know, we're, we're trying and mm-hmm. um, making sure it is acknowledged and just asking the correct pronunciation. It's fine, isn't it, Megzi? Really? Oh, 100%. You, you know, wanting to get it right means more than just doing it to, to you know, to saying it without care. Yeah, so conviction, yeah. Conviction and, um, yeah, no, definitely appreciate um the additional effort that goes into creating a safe space. And as a First Nations person, um, you know, often spaces aren't, to be honest. A lot of spaces mm. haven't traditionally been space. Look at footy. Look how, look at, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. There's always, um, there's always hurdles when it comes to uh, the colour of your skin, unfortunately, as a First Nations person. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it is really key to be hyper aware of that and, and aware that like our culture is is so um, rich and ain't you know it's it's sixty thousand plus years old mm. you know there's there's so much history and and um, heritage and spirit that is woven through um, our culture and it's 
you know, it's it's not easy for a lot of people to understand. I'm, even I'm still learning. And you're never too uh, you're never too old to learn about this. Yeah. Never. No, no way. I think I've got heaps to learn. Yeah. You know? No, absolutely. We all do. Yeah. We all do. And that's you know we um, we yeah. grew up in an era where we weren't being taught the the true history of our country. Correct. Yeah, and that's the thing. It didn't really, you know, didn't impact me at school when I was growing up because it just wasn't a thing. It, you got touched on very lightly, but oh. not to the degree of what we do now, which is why I think, you know, in, in our live events, it's so important. We've got a voice. We've got an opportunity. We've got the audience. You know, it's a, let's let's talk about it and let's do all the right things and let's communicate and that's what we're there for at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I've learned more about Aboriginal history in the six or seven years I've worked with the Long Walk than the previous 36 years of my life. Mm. And, you know, it is it is what it is, yeah. but it's great. As I said, you're never too late and, and I'm really, uh, you know, grateful for that opportunity. A hundred percent. And I think, yeah, the more conversation, the better, the more that people have empathy and understanding as to, you know, going back to that creating. And that that's, you know, I speak on behalf of a First Nations person, but that's just in general in terms of diversity because, you know, we, we also have to look after our, um, you know, LGBTIQIA+, I think it is, um, you know, and making sure that, you know, um, there's, you know, such a, a topic around pronouns and, and, you know, making sure that we just, we are creating safety for not just First Nations people, all people as yeah. well that... Um, that don't come from the majority. But the events world cre- creates that vehicle. Yeah. Correct. For, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. for these communities, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing a massive push in, you know, the diversity and the inclusiveness pieces in, at the moment, particularly in our producing of events. And so it's a definitely a thought topic at least, which has taken yeah. a long time to get to that point. But at least we've kind of, as of 2020, 23 right now, we're actually starting to talk about it, think about it, plan it. Uh, which is another great step forward, I think. So um, so you've obviously got your finger in it quite a few pies <laughs> these days, Megs, between gyms and TV and events and uh, your First Nations work. Is there an end goal for you or, a you know, in terms of working through which industry becomes a focus or are you just kind of winging it like you were earlier <laughs> and taking every opportunity as it comes? She's waiting on the next Facebook message to see. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> What's next? Um, weirdly, I think... Everything that's transpired in terms of my career right now actually all is very aligned. Um, I think that, you know, even I have just recently um, come on board with Nike, which is really cool. So, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, so I've just, um, yeah, I'll I'll be with Nike for the next couple of years as a Nike trainer. And I think that uh, complements my fitness background and owning of a gym, but then also to, you know, I'm able to, you weave my gym sort of stuff into the show. Like we just started a segment this year on the show called Move It With Megzy and one of my first guests, we filmed that segment in the gym. Um, So it's funny because it's like when I was probably not last year, the year before 2021, when um, things weren't really happening outside of Yokai, I was like, um, really mind mapping things. And I had engaged a life coach at that time um, through um, a, a non-for-profit Indigenous um, organisation yep. called Naramili. And um, she really helped me to just nut things out. And a, a tip that I 
like to share with a lot of people is the post-it note trick um, or the post-it note tip, I should say. So I had like all my different post-it notes. I had sort of sectioned them up on the wall. So I broke it down into like media, what comes under that. And it was like the pink post-it notes. Then it was like movement, um, you know, mindfulness and what comes under that. And they were all the green post-it notes. And then there was like me, like my passions and and it just became this big tree. It was like while well, my housemate wasn't in the house and I'd just completely <laughs> taken Cover over the walls, the yep. walls with post-it notes. But it just really helped me to mind map like what, what I actually wanted to achieve. And it's funny because I think back to that now, everything that I had put up there is what's happening right now. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, brainstorming and planning. And so I think right now where I'm at is exactly where I'm supposed to be with all of the things. I definitely want to keep exploring and growing in the media space. Um, I really enjoy, I did Fox footy last year on the boundary for the women's season. And that was really, um, challenging because that really was like live TV. Yeah. That's a live event. Yeah. Really. Um, and so I definitely want to continue to explore that, I think, and grow in that space. Um, but then I'm also, I, I think it's very evenly balanced with where I want to distribute my time because I'm so passionate about my gym and, and the community that we're creating there. And I just love it. Like, you know, sometimes the alarm goes off at 4am and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> but then I get there and I hug all my our members and, you know. She really does hug yeah, everyone. Yeah. 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 It's actually ingrained in our, it's like our policy to our coaches. Like we say like to break down the barrier, everyone who walks in the door gets a yeah. hug because you're creating it. Yeah. It's like such a simple thing, but it really shifts the energy. Yeah. Um, and even the people that are like not huggers are now the ones that walk in the door that, that hug us. So it really is such a silly thing, a small thing, but it's created such a shift in our space in, in the gym. But yeah, I think um, watch this space. I think I'm going to continue growing and evolving in both of these spaces kind of quite equally, I think. I don't really know what's coming up next. I know the long walk's coming up soon. That'll be fun <laughs> That'll again. be fun. It's yeah, a couple of months away. Yeah. Yep. No, I love it. And, and I mean, there is so sim- many similarities in each of those industries. They do overlap quite a bit and we're seeing it, you know, so much. I mean, you know, I, I'm involved in fitness and, and so forth and more the event stuff, but you're probably going the other way uh, in some ways. But there's such a transition over. And I think it comes down to work ethic. You know, it's like getting up at four o'clock in the morning and it is building a community and yeah. it is talking to people and, and communicating in different ways and uh, and providing those outlets for people. It's There is so many similarities we can draw upon and you can make a list a, a long while. But but we're at the, an important part of the episode, which is Shane's favourite. Mm-hmm. And I know you've been waiting for this. Shane Buzzer, hit it with your rapid fire questions, mate. Okay, got a couple of questions here. Quick answers, okay? No Uh-oh. mucking around. These are very, <laughs> very serious. Okay. okay. Put your serious face on. First one. Your favourite song to belt out loudly in the car? Oh, what Adele or someone like <laughs> you. <laughs> For sure. Easy one. Someone has to film that. Ross, film that <laughs> Yeah, that was literally me last night in the car on the way home from watching the footy because S&M won round one, so. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. Um, have you sworn on camera or at an event yet? Behind yes. the mic? Yes. Oh. I'm... I mean, I'm, I am from the territory, so <laughs> the F-bomb. Did you get away with it? Um, yeah, it was the right moment okay. for it. It was okay. It, it, was, it landed because it, it was the right place for it. It's all about timing. Yeah. <laughs> Who ran a better time at Run for the Kids yesterday? You or me? You, for sure, because you ran the 
friggin' long one. I probably could have done it too, but look, oh, you you can take that one. He's what? just looking for his little yeah. tat, tat <laughs> on the back. Absolutely. That's why I can't walk today. Number one tip, prevent planners when working with an MC. I, oh, this is a good one. I definitely think um, it's key to really onboard your talent in advance in terms of, um, you know, I like to receive the run sheet at least a week before if possible. Good luck um, with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but definitely the MC notes. Like I don't want to be doing my MC notes the night before a, an event that starts in the morning. I would like at least a couple of days, especially as an over-preparer. I really like to, to make sure I feel really confident going into an event. So having at least a full day um, before the event to really um, prepare. Sure. Okay. Last one. This is a big one. Okay. You ready? <laughs> you could upset a few people here. Who wins the 2023 AFL and AFLW premierships? Oh, This would be good. She's not going to say Carlton, mate. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> <Piss off. laughs> yes, you're Sorry, right. She's not going to say North Melbourne either. <laughs> I wish that I was going to say yes, but I'm not going to say that either. Um, I think that the D's have mm. a strong chance at redemption this mm. year. I think they deserve to play a grand final at the MCG um, off the back of that year yep. of being ripped off. Not that they were ripped off because they won the grand final, but the Demon Army, I feel, deserve that moment. Um, and I think that they're up to it this year. Yeah. Uh, so I think we might see a Demon Brisbane potentially, or if Collingwood keep playing the way that they are at the moment as much as Ooh, we all don't like to I'd admit say. it. <laughs> but it could be Collingwood right at the top at the very end too. And I think, um, again, sorry, it's meant to be quick fire, but I really, really love Craig McRae. Um, he's the, great. Yep. What he's done for that club and just the man that he is, he, we've interacted with him a couple of times now, and he is just an amazing man. And I think you can see what he's done in terms of, um, you know, turning that club around. Hang on, hang on. So Melbourne or Collingwood? Which one is it? I'm going to say Mel- Melbourne. Okay. And, and AFLW? AFLW? Oh, yeah. AFLW. I think, geez, there's been a lot of um, shifting. Yeah, it's all of, happening. Yeah, there's the, players going everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of um, player movement uh, across the clubs. I... Oh, gosh, I actually don't know off the back of all the movements. I think that um, Brisbane will probably want redemption this year and they're an amazing side. They have lost some of their key players though. So, um, but I mean, they still have a team full of amazing women as well. But Brisbane, um, I'm going to go Brisbane for women's, for the women's. Nice one. Good answers. Beautiful. Well, Megsy, thank you very much for joining us uh, and sharing your such diverse life and, and everything you do. And uh, it's su- such a great opportunity to have you here and uh, and to share that with, with all of us. And we really do appreciate your valuable time. Uh, so uh, thanks again. Thank you for having me. It was um, really great to chat. Awesome. Thanks, Megsy. Loved having you. Thanks for listening to An Event for Life. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to listen to more episodes. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. And this podcast is produced by EOS Creative. See you next time on An Eventful Life.